Welcome to the Intentional House Podcast. Here, it's all about creating beautiful homes that actually help families love better. Here's your host, the home coach herself, Carly Thornock. Hey, homies, it's Carly. So glad that you are here. This is the official podcast of Intentional House, where we do things wrong and we love ourselves through it. And then we try again and again until we create the results that we want. Believe it or not, the results that we want are just on the other side of a lot of iterative failures. And that's what we're here for at Intentional House. I hope you guys loved the chocolate pudding challenge from last week. Did you do it? Did you love it? Was it hard? Did you cry? (laughs) I've heard from some of you about how challenging and rewarding it was, and I commend you for even giving it a try. Again, the purpose of the chocolate pudding challenge is not to do it right, is not to have a great picture to post on Instagram is not to even make like a perfect memory with your family and your kids, even though that's usually a fun byproduct. The purpose of the chocolate pudding challenge is to test our nervous systems as moms and to show yourself that messes actually don't kill us. So I hope you took some steps this week toward that end, creating safety within your biology. Something that I teach my my home love lab gals is that when we do things that are uncomfortable on purpose over and over again, we literally reprogram our neurology to be more resilient. So we do this through taking cold showers, doing breath exercises, and through changing things up at our house just for the purpose of, of, of trying it out, of doing things that make us comfort, uncomfortable. Um, and then noticing how discomfort on purpose, ease and discomfort, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, it, it bleeds out into our parenting and it bleeds out into our home choices. So we find ourselves more comfortable in the chaos. We find that messes don't mess us up. This is what I want for you. Because when we are safe, we make really great decisions, both with our relationships and also with the physical things that we put into our spaces. That is why we do these uncomfortable things. And I hope you had a fun time doing it this week yourself. (laughs) So the news on the ranch is that we have decided on a name. And the name goes back to my grandpa, my grandpa Cowser, who is from Texas and whose, whose family farm we visited while we were out there this winter, he would always tell these stories about he and his, his brother Jack going to the Delphos. We're we went out to the Delphos and we swam at the Delphos and we had a picnic at the Delphos and we watched the stars at the Delphos. And when we got to the farm, I was like, okay, where is the Delphos? What is a Delphos? And we got in the, the four-wheeler and my cousin took me to the Delphos. And it is really like a bend in the creek where they played. He said that when my grandfather's mom had passed away, his dad had started dating again. And one of these women, maybe it was their stepmom or maybe it was a, a different woman that had come by the property, was in their lives. Maybe it was even like a, a nanny sort of figure. She referred to the the ditch, the creek, as the foss. So this is a French word for the ditch. And I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it. F-O-S-S-E. Fosse. <laughs> and Del is a, is a word for like the, right? So it's kind of the, the ditch. And Del Foss became a name of, of people, like a last name, a surname of the people who lived by the ditch. And so she would always say like, let's go down to the Del Foss. And, and the boys just started calling it that, the Del Foss. 
So truly it's saying like the, the ditch, but we are embracing it for all of its familial, cultural, historical implications. And we've decided to name our ranch the Delphos. So down at the Delphos this week, we decided to make ourselves a pallet porch. And by we, I mean I, because Chase has been setting up our electrical and septic and water systems like a champion doing things that sustain life. And I made our a porch, which to me sustains sanity. So, you know, definitely a good contribution. I was done sweeping 3000 times a day because the dirt, the, the soil here needs some, some help. And right now it's really dusty and dry and the dust just comes into the, into the house, through the trailer all the time. So I'd be sweep, sweep, sweeping, mop, mop, mopping, and it would all just get undone. And now we know that this is just part of daily life, right? We know that messes happen. We know that dishes get dirty. We know that laundry, uh, is always waiting for us. And we know that floors can be swept as many times as we want to sweep them truly. But I thought that while I don't mind sweeping necessarily, I wanted to create for myself a way that less dust would get in. So we laid out pallets and it's been awesome. (laughs) I never thought that I'd be so happy about such an ugly, you know, addition to my home, but it has been good. I feel slightly nervous about splinters and nails still. So we're still refining, but man, I only sweep like two or three times a day and it's so glorious. My kids think it's fun to balance on, on the little slats of wood and it has definitely dropped the dust factor. And I know that dust does not make me happy or make me unhappy. And that's a good, good place to be in because I think I truly can. And I have experienced that I truly can be happy, whether my floors are dusty or whether they're clean, but I do like taking, taking a prerogative, a creative initiative and making a change so that I can use my energy in different places. And that's fun to me. So it's been great. This week's little lifesaver goes along with the pallets because as we were picking up pallets from my brother-in-law and sister-in-law who are so kind to let us use some of the pallets that they didn't need anymore at their business, my boys just got really excited about these circular metal cutouts that they found in the parking lot. You guys, they are like little frisbees. They're just little pieces of metal and they spent an hour finding them and they've been playing with them for hours and hours and hours here. So circular metal cutout treasures have been the little lifesaver of the week because of the time and the creativity they have inspired for my children. It has been hilarious in the past. And I believe probably in the future for me, these little treasures (laughs) been something that kind of make me shake my head. Like, this is funny. Why are we collecting things from the dumpster? You guys, like we could do better. (laughs) Maybe like, do you need like a toy? I don't know. It makes me, sometimes I'm invited to question my parenting, like if we, if we were playing with screws and pieces of wire, like, do I need to step up my game? But what I have really leaned into in the past few years is that these little treasures mean so much to the kids and they love them so much collecting bottle caps or random things they find on the street. They just love it. And it speaks to their creativity and their sense of adventure that everything they find can be used and can be creative. So with these little, little circular cutouts, they found boxes to keep them in and we're just rolling with it. We're going to see how long the little circular cutouts ranging in size from like, oh, I don't know. It looks like a button battery almost size up to like a full six inch diameter plate. 
and we're just going to roll with it. We're going to see what we can create and how long this lasts. And, and, uh, yeah, there's room, (laughs) there's room for the treasures in our lives. What has been your little lifesaver this week? Do your kids do this? Do they love little treasures? Do you resist the little treasures? I like to have a home for the little treasures. I don't like them all over my house, but I do like the little treasures. And I invite you to this week, lean in to the little treasures. Today on the podcast is we get to talk about something that I feel really passionately about. And also I feel underdeveloped about. So we're going to be talking about a history of homemaking. And the reason I feel underdeveloped about this is not because of lack of enthusiasm or lack of uh, yeah passion, but just because I feel lots of conflicting uh, voices in my world regarding this topic and within my soul too. And what I've learned when I feel like I'm stuck in the middle of a paradox, like how can this be true and also this be true, is that if I expand my view to in- include them both and, and let both be true, then I can find my own personal truth. So as we're talking through this today, I want you to to think about what you think and think about what you agree with and think about the extremes that you've seen. And we don't have to go black and white. Invite yourself to do color, to do all the value scale. Do you remember when you were young, like learning about art and making a value scale where you have the box that's white and then the box that's black and you have to fill in the colors of gray in between to make kind of an ombre effect. Like lean into this ombre effect, lean into this idea that there are lots of right ways to do this. And there's going to be a way that feels right for you today. And that may or may not be right for you tomorrow or next year or in five years, but it's okay for today's right to be right today. So, so come on this journey with me of exploring and let's talk about a history of homemaking. So even saying homemaking out loud, like I laugh because today this word has a connotation of being associated with like subservient labor and obligation to consistently anticipating and over delivering on the needs of more important spouses or more important children. It's this idea that the woman is a slave in her home and her whole purpose is to create comfort and satisfaction for those around her. And I cringe at this. I cringe at this idea that making a home is equal to, um, losing agency, losing choice and devaluing any part of that self awareness of a woman or any person. And so I hesitate to use the word homemaking, but I also love the word homemaking. And I feel very connected to this calling in my family and both like in the world. I feel like we need strong homes and I want to create a strong home and I want to make a home intentionally for my family. I, in college, I studied what was called home and family living and it was previously called homemaking. And people teased me as I was getting my schooling, like, oh, you're getting the MRS degree, are you? Just looking for a husband, someone to take care of, someone to take care of you. Like you don't have a real degree. You're not here to get a real education. You're here to get married is kind of the, con- the, the, the joke, right? And that's funny. And I could laugh about it. And it's true that I did get married during college. And it's true that I use these skills every day in my family. But more than 
like a home ec, right? Home economy, all these words like just are like, so you can sew, so you can cook, so you can run a home scientifically, like more than the science of providing for other people. I want to go deeper into this idea of making a home. Like what are the ingredients that go into a happy home that go into creating an environment, both physical and spiritual and emotional where people can thrive. So to me, homemaking is, is that creating a physical, emotional, and spiritual safe haven with the purpose of living life abundantly and intentionally therein. We can look at homemaking as a skill to refine. Like she's a very good seamstress. She's a very accomplished baker. She's a a cleaning wizard. Like we can look at homemaking as a skill set. And yes, but also I want us to expand this skill set, skill set awareness to be more intellectual and more psychological and more emotional because all of these things go into creating a home. There are physical manifestations of a home and there are also emotional and spiritual manifestations of a home. All of them are very important. When I'm talking about abundance, again, it's not like doing it better or doing it right. It's about loving what you have and creating what you need and what you want. To me, the great homemakers of the world live in abundance where they love what they have and they are grateful and they are able to, uh, like make do as we, we say, like our grandmothers would say, make do or do without, but also being, having the ability to create what you need and want with the sky being the limit knowing that you can make any choice, knowing that you can do it any way you'd like, knowing that you can hire experts, knowing that you can do it yourself, knowing that you can have just so many choices in how to execute your homemaking makes this truly abundant and magical and intentional. There are a few people who have talked about home economics and homemaking in ways that really stand out to me. These people are Wendell Berry and also Shannon Hayes. So we're going to talk through a few of these contributions by these authors and these thinkers and uh, to shape the way that we understand what homemaking is. Wendell Berry says, the very root of economics is stewardship, household management. To paraphrase Confucius, a healthy planet is made up of healthy nations that are simply healthy communities sharing common ground and communities are gatherings of households. A measure of the health of the planet is economics, the health of its households. I believe this 1000%. So what happened to homemaking? Like, how did we get away from this idea that home economics from being this lifeblood of a community of the planet to being this word that even I hesitate to say in my work because I don't want it to be misconstrued? What happened? So Shannon Hayes does an excellent job in her book called Radical Homesteading, where she talks about how the, before the house was the women's sphere, it was a sign of middle-class freedom. So as Europe emerged from the dark ages, people were able to have their own homes and their own property. And when 
she says, ordinary men and women were beginning to have the ability to own property and make a household that provided for their sustenance. And husbands were called husbands because they were taking care of the land primarily and, and together with a, their wives providing for the food and the clothing and the shelter for their families, for their own selves. And together, usually the women were working more in the home and the men were working on the land, but together they were in and out and providing this as kind of an equal partnership. Then men and women were torn physically more apart when men went to work outside of the home. And fast forward lots of years into the 1900s, where women began to be invited to scientify the work in the home. To me, this is coming from this idea that the work in the home, you need to perfect it. You need to be better at it. You need to streamline it. And it also is deeply married to the idea of capitalism, where we have things to sell you to make your work easier to not be so overwhelmed by now you are taking care of the household in the yard and the food and all the things and your husband is more gone. How can we make this easier and quicker and better for you? And also how can we make a fortune, right? Capitalism. I just am such a fan of capitalism. And I also understand that when money is the underpinning motivator for anything, we can get our intentions confused. We can misalign priorities very quickly and very easily. So as the housewife kind of began to be a career and people were not as, as intent on what was best for their families and what they can self-sustainably um, provide and do with their time in a way that's meaningful to them and more entered like a rat race mo- modality, mental sphere of how can I do this better? How can I be more efficient? How can I have the latest gadget? How can I look like I have myself put together? we lose a little bit of touch both with between spouses and with our inner calling as what we're doing at home. So Shannon Hayes, she begs the question, isn't a homesteader just a rebranded homemaker? And can't you make a home without turning in your feminist credentials? And as I'm here homesteading myself and starting this new adventure for me and my family, I do feel very passionately along feminist lines. I feel like n- nobody is allowed to tell me what I value and nobody is allowed to tell me what to do with my time. This is something that I get to choose for myself. And I feel like every person gets to make this choice. So where is the conflict between feminism to me, which means valuing women period and the work that women do period and valuing the work that everybody does period Where's the conflict between that idea and homemaking? To me, there is not a conflict. To me, choosing to make a home and choosing to homestead and choosing to see myself in the most self-respecting, love-infused light and all women is where the magic happens. This is where homemaking means something. Emotion and perception, like how you think about power and choice is the place where there's the conflict. When you are feeling like somebody is overpowering you and you are feeling like you do not have a choice. And when you're thinking thoughts that lead you to feel like a victim or you're thinking thoughts that make you feel less powerful, that is where 
homemaking and feminism will clash. But when you understand that how you think and how you feel is yours and you get to choose what you do with your time and you get to oversee your own pursuit of happiness, that is when you are able to merge these two worlds and see homemaking as truly a powerful gift. I assert that each individual has the right to choose for himself and herself these things. I also assert that happiness is not the goal of life. So while you get to choose your own happiness, you get to choose your own way. Remember the happiness is not the goal. If we all just did things that made us instantly gratified and topically happy, we would be pursuing empty trails most of the time, like a deep and sure lasting joy and happiness comes from a lot of hard things that feel not very happy. So we want to be careful when we're using the word happy, but I, I am using it in this context to say like your own heart's desire and any heart's desire that's worth its salt is going to include a little bit of unhappiness for sure. So happiness is a choice and it can be made despite any circumstance. You can be happy in a mansion. You can be happy in a hut. You can be happy with a lot of square footage and you can be happy with little square footage. There is not a house that's going to make you happy in the world. Happy people are everywhere. There are happy housewives. There are happy executives. There are happy men. There are happy women. There are happy children. And there are also very unhappy people in all of those categories. Where we run into problems with our happiness, with the, with all of this is where we think first, I do not own my own happiness. I do not own my own choices, right? Second, we think it's better there than here. If we think it's better out in the world, it's better in corporate America, corporate global economy, it's better to be a professional working for an institution. It's better to be working for myself. It's better to be retired and to not have to work. It's better to be my own boss of my time and whatever. Like we sometimes we just get caught in this loop of thinking it's better there than here. And where I am right now is wrong. And that is a surefire road to feel unhappy. <laughs> so we will lose our happiness like instantly when we think some my, my happiness is outside of myself. Somebody else is in charge of it. And it's better there than here. So be careful of those two like happiness traps. I love reading what Hayes has to say, Shannon Hayes, when she talks about people that she has noticed who are unhappy homesteaders, people who are living close to the earth or the simple life or whatever. And they're, they're not happy, but there were also people who were, and she discovered that people who are happy just in general are the people who, as she says, they weren't focused on having the tidiest tool shed or every last detail prepped for or perfect. They were focused on creating. The happy ones were also the messy ones, she says, because they were focused on something that was bigger than themselves. They had just enough self-reliance skills to reduce their dependence on the conventional economy. And they used that freedom to apply themselves to the bigger, tougher projects of making a better world. So it's like freedom and application of the freedom. These are the two things that keep coming up over and over again of how do we make a happy life for ourselves, a happy world, a happy home. We have 
freedom and we recognize that we have the freedom, that ownership, and then we apply it toward an end that we believe in. There's a book called At Home by Bill Bryson, and this is a fascinating book. He goes into all of the history of the things in our houses and where they come from. So he goes room by room and he talks about how we have salt and pepper shakers on our tables. And it's just kind of a cultural norm now, but like, why do we do that? And where did that come from? And salt means something and also pepper means something. And it's come from the spice trade and it's come from socioeconomic trends and trying to prove something and proving worth. And so if we put spices on our table, it means we're abundant and affluent and all of these different things, right? I highly recommend this book, but it goes back to, he, he, he anchors in this idea that society is a measure, like homes are a measure, sorry, of the history of culture. And so all culture and all society eventually trickles down and we have evidence of it. All um, technological advancements, all historical big underpinnings, like we can see these in our homes. And I say that society is a measure of the health of the home. So society and home have this beautiful dance going on where we are using our houses to make a better world and we are taking the world and making better houses. And it takes a lot of discernment and a lot of vision and a disciplined mind's eye to take what the world is and take where the world is going and the things that are offered to us by the world and incorporate that into a home that works for us. Isn't this fun? So this is our task. This is the purpose of homemaking. It is to create a safe haven for ourselves using the things in the world that we love and value toward the end that we have in mind as the owners, as the freedom advocates, as the creators. And when we do this, when we are owning our happiness and our goals, and when we are choosing it for ourselves, and fully knowing that here is not better or worse than there, we make really great decisions for ourselves. This is when it's easy to know what couch to get. This is when it becomes easy to understand what kind of bedroom you need to provide for your kids. Are they sharing? Are they separate? This is when it becomes easy to think about entertaining our community. Not because the thing is easy necessarily, but because the priorities are simple. And we know that making a home is not something we have to do to be a good person because our goodness is inherent and, we, and it doesn't have to do with our happiness. We don't need these things to be happy because we know our happiness is inherent and just ready for us to grasp at any moment. But we do these things. We create a home. We buy the things because it feels loving to us, because we're coming from a place of love and sufficiency and abundance. And therefore, we want our homes to reflect it. We want to invite people into our spheres and into our circles. We want to love our children using our things. We want to propel society forward and to anchor us deep into the roots of what matter to us. And that is why making intentional home decisions is so critical. We are the future of the planet. How we design our homes will both influence the planet and it will provide a different home culture for the generations to come where they will learn to make mistakes, where they will learn to own their freedom and create with it. If we are approaching home as just 
another path to follow all the other sheep down and with the right way to do it and a to-do list to check off and worth to prove, we are missing the opportunity of creation. We are missing the opportunity of choice and we are missing the opportunity of connection. Our home is for us. Your freedom is yours and nobody can take it away from you. And I hope that with your house, no matter what you choose to do with it, no matter how much time you choose to spend there, no matter how you orchestrate what feels good to you as you are homemaking, I hope you do it with intention. I will talk to you next time, you guys. And until then, go get messy. Hey, if you are loving everything that you're hearing, I want to invite you to join the Home Love Lab. This is the program where I take you through all the steps in anchoring your home design and renovation in the love that you feel for yourself, for your spouse, for your children, and for all the guests that come into your home. It's a revolutionary way to look at home design, and I'd love to have you join me. You can find more details about the Home Love Lab at intentionalhouse.com.